Thank you, Eric, and uh, welcome, friends. It is a joy to be in this space with, uh, with so many of you, faces I know, faces I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to be here, and um, thank you, Eric, and Abigail for leading us in worship, the choir. That was, um, that was really touching. That was touching. I love Thanksgiving, and um, does anybody else relate to this love of Thanksgiving? Yeah, lots of hands in the room. I love it. It's just about my, um, my favorite holiday. And I love the way that it kind of wraps us into kind of the intro for Advent. It's the appetizer before the main course. It gets us to Christmas. We know the season has changed. Um, I love the way that oftentimes it brings people together. And Thanksgiving proper, you probably spend that with your family, but you also can do things with friends. Friendsgiving, these kind of pieces... Everyone gets to bring a dish. We have turkey. It's an immersive experience, and it's something that I love about the holiday. Another thing I love, and probably the best for last, is that once a year, we get to pretend that it is okay to spread jam on every dish. So get that cranberry sauce, that ocean spray, that gelatinous with the ridges, like none of the fancy stuff, the fresh stuff. Get me the... The, the, the ocean spray can. That's the one I want. Anyone? Yes! This is my crowd. This is my crew. Listen, that's the real stuff. Pour it on. I love that. Yeah. No one's going to think twice if you do that during this season. That's a, that's a good thing. I, I love Thanksgiving so much that when I was 18, I decided that one annual experience of Thanksgiving was not enough for me. So I packed up my things, and I went to Tennessee. I moved to Tennessee so that I could have two experiences of Thanksgiving because as a Canadian living in America, now I get a double dose of the offering every year, October, November. That's how much I love Thanksgiving. Throughout my life, I've celebrated Thanksgiving in a variety of ways. Uh, Being Chinese-Canadian, we've done... Chinese-styled banquets for Thanksgiving. In the South, uh, I visited a friend, and we had a backyard turkey fry, and the turkey had just been shot the day before and dressed that day. So it doesn't get fresher than that. In the Northwest, I've been here for about five years, it's mainly been like kale and locally foraged mushrooms, (laughs) something in that space. Besides this, though, no, truly... Thanksgiving can be a fun time of coming together. Um, And at the same time, as Ali noted, like we don't want to be naive about Thanksgiving. For all the joys that Thanksgiving can bring us, also sometimes Thanksgiving is a place where differences, they're accentuated. And not always in good ways. And so Does anyone relate to this? If this were to come up at your topic of discussion tomorrow around your Thanksgiving table, uh, it probably wouldn't be a light go if we brought up politics, faith and religion, race, justice, sexuality, war, climate change, government policy, the economy, healthcare, public school, private school, unemployment, Like, as we gather in the different places that we will gather over tomorrow, the week to come, and also the Christmas season, going into that, as we gather into all these places, if these topics come up, my guess is that in our different contexts, the potential to experience relational fracture 
is here. The potential to experience relational fracture is here. So this might not happen at every table, but at some of our tables, deference, that's respect or an acknowledgement of the other, deference, that gets displaced by difference. Division, it leads to derision. We do violence in the name of love, and we can be so focused on our ideas, our principles, the things we hold to, that we miss the humanity of the person who's sitting across the table from me. As Dominic Gilliard reminded us last Monday, sometimes we can succumb to the temptation to trade unity for uniformity, right? Like we trade postures of unity that celebrate God's designed beauty of diversity. We, we trade that for a false vision of unity that really postures as uniformity. You know, being the same thing. Anything out of line doesn't fit here. Sometimes we can talk about being unified in a way that aims for everyone to become uniformed to my ways, my wants, my preferences, my theology, my perspectives, what I like, the way I was raised. Unity and uniformity. Friends, this is not how Christ shared table fellowship. This is not the way of Christ. What might Jesus say to us as we eat with others in the season to come? What do we think? What might Jesus say to us as we eat with others in the season to come? The gospel of Luke has been nicknamed by scholars as the gospel of hospitality. And this is because throughout the book, Jesus seems to constantly be eating. He's either at a meal, he's going to a meal, or he's leaving a meal, right? He's found eating around the table in the book of Luke 10 times. And every time we see him eating, get this, he's eating with someone else. We never see him eating alone. There's no description of Jesus eating in Luke by himself. More than any other gospel, Luke is distinct for 10 eating scenes. And the author will build on that later into Acts. But a fun fact for you about Luke and Acts, if you combine all the verses together, 20% of those verses, just about, just under 20% of those verses are spoken around a table or around a meal. So the thread of hospitality is rich in Luke. Luke has a lot to say about eating. And as many of us are about to enter a season where we will participate in a lot of eating, hopefully good things. Again, put that cranberry sauce and everything, right? Lots of that eating. God has a lot to say to us this evening. If you would join me in prayer, let's continue to receive from the Lord tonight. God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We're grateful for this time in our week before what can be a busy time to rest, to pause. We pray that this spoken word would be faithful to your written word and that it would lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Work in us today. May we hear from you. We pray this with Christ by the spirit. Everyone said, amen. A mentor of mine likes to say that Western churches, we tend to suffer from versitis. We tend to know specific verses of scripture while missing the scope or the arc of scripture. 
Here's what he means. We, if we're, we're here on Thanksgiving Eve service, so most of us have probably attended a church before. Uh, this might not be your first time. If it is, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But for those who have engaged the church before, what does John 3.16 say? Let's recite it together, okay? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's brilliant. Now, does anyone know what John 3.15 says? John 3.14? What about this? Who is Jesus talking to? Who does he say this to? He says it's Nicodemus, right? Okay, some people in the crowd have been to Sunday school too. I like it. (laughs) Again, sometimes we can suffer from versitis and we miss the story, the arc. We know the verses and we miss the story. We like to handle the puzzle pieces, but then we never actually take a step back to see the picture, right? So because we miss a story, it then becomes difficult for us to find our stories in God's cosmic story. That's not to say that encountering God in Bible verses is impossible or unimportant. But as we think about our own stories, may we not miss the arc, the story arc that God invites us to through the gospel of Luke. Consider three observations that we can glean from Jesus's description of eating habits in Luke. First, again, consider this, 10 meals that Jesus eats. Three take place in Galilee. Four take place on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. Three take place in Jerusalem. As we look at the arc of Christ's story in Luke, these places, this journey, it's meant to inspire us. Remember, Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. That's a town in Galilee. And as a town in that region, that is seen as kind of being undereducated, a low-performing place in comparison to other towns in Israel. Meanwhile, Jerusalem, that's the beating heart of the nation. Like people go there for the temple. People travel there. The temple is there. It's a piece of, it's a place of of, of power, of prestige, of learning, of progress. We have Galilee and Jerusalem. What's this trying to tell us in the journey? Friends, Jesus can be found feasting in Galilee, in Jerusalem, and in every place in between. Jesus can be found feasting in the backcountry town and in the religious center. Jesus shows up in the homes of blue-collar workers and in the homes of high-ranking officials. There is no place that we can go that Jesus isn't willing to go to as well for a feast. This may seem trivial, but I promise you this is big news. The gospel is not good news without this, that Jesus will go here and here and everywhere in between. This is the kind of revelation, like a good meal that needs to linger on our palates a little bit. Like you need to let it sit 
to experience the notes, to, to find the depth, the richness. Like this is profoundly good news. You see, the very trajectory of Jesus's eating tells us about the redemptive nature of God. From his hometown on the margins to the hometown of his nation, Jesus shares communion in the extremes of difference and in all of the gradients in between. His hometown, his nation's hometown, all of the gradients in between. Like Jesus, he doesn't just eat in his hometown. It's not just about my, my small tribe, my, my immediate family, my people. It's not just that, his hometown. It's also that he doesn't abandon his home for a better zip code, a different place, more power, a different experience or a different environment. He doesn't do that either. Jesus journeys from here to here, Galilee to Jerusalem, communing within different places all along the way. And as we read this and allow the scriptures to read us, right? We don't just look at the text, but we allow the God the text points to, to read our lives. So as we do this, it asks us a couple questions. It says, can we say the same when we look back at the tables we've shared this past year? Can we say the same? Or does your theology leave room for you to experience God in unexpected places? Does your theology leave room for you to experience God in unexpected places? From the outskirts to the temple, Jesus can be found communing. Where might we find Christ? And where might Christ find you communing? Another observation about Christ's eating habits through Luke is, not only does Jesus set himself in unexpected places when he eats, what's even more scandalous is that Jesus continually communes with unexpected people. In Jesus' day, while the places where you ate mattered, the people who you ate with mattered as well. So some of us explored this in our last sermon series. In Galatians, Paul calls out Peter because Peter, he stops eating with Gentiles. He stops eating with people who are outside of his tribe. Peter, a Jew himself, had been eating with the Gentiles in Antioch. But then once his buddies came into town, he stopped. Like he wouldn't share table fellowship across ethnic lines. So we see this in Galatians 2 and 3. Even with all of the lofty words that Peter has said throughout his life, the sermons he's preached, the people he's ministered to, Peter in Galatians still isn't fully able to override his formation. And eventually in Galatians 2, Paul calls him out. He says, Peter, why aren't you sharing table fellowship with the Gentiles anymore? Like you were just doing that, but now you're not once the envoy from Jerusalem has come. So, What's up with that? This story, if we follow the arc of the story, it actually serves as the backdrop for this famous verse that we will say in church often, which is, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there's male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. The backdrop of that story is someone refusing table fellowship because of ethnic lines. 
So when Paul calls Peter out on this, uh, what, what, what we're seeing is that Peter, who has preached a sermon that says God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh, he's having that reimagined for himself. Peter's lived reality still keeps him from sharing communion with others. So we don't see this in Jesus' eating habits. Again, follow the story through Luke, all 10 meals. The gravity of this sometimes is lost in us. But not only does Jesus set himself in unexpected places, again, what's even more scandalous is that Jesus continually communes with unexpected people. The places matter. The people do too. Tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, crowds, friends, family, adults and children, men and women, Gentiles, Jews. Think of the variety of those, this list. As we allow the text to read us, does your theology leave room for you to experience God in unexpected people? Does your theology leave room for you to experience God in unexpected people? With Jews and Gentiles? With slave and free? Male and female? Young and old? Jesus can be found communing. Another way to ask this is, are there people who wouldn't have a seat at your table, even if God brought them to you? Again, this is how the text reads us. It's asking us probing questions about life, about the way we carry our habits. Jesus eats in unexpected places. Jesus eats with unexpected people. A final thing I want us to recognize is this. Jesus eats with an unexpected posture. Jesus eats with an unexpected posture. This is even though the things we've said are scandalous, this is the most scandalous thing that Jesus' eating habits in Luke tell us. Where he eats, that's startling. Who he eats with, that's staggering. How he eats is shocking. It's actually a perfect tie-in to the mystery of Christmas. In Jesus, God eats with us. Not a mascot for God, not a representative in Christ, God communes with us. In theology, we use the word incarnation to highlight this. Literally in Latin, it's that idea of to make into flesh. Like God incarnates God's self. If we did a survey of other gods in the ancient Near East, if we just took a poll of them, this actually helps us grasp the gravity of God's grace. In an ancient Near Eastern context, we are meant to feed the gods. They don't feed us, we feed them. And as we feed them, the logic goes that if we do this, they will bestow benevolence on us. Like this is how spirituality, the logic works. The scandal of Jesus is that his posture doesn't look like this. Communing with Jesus is not a one-way transaction. It's a mutual relationship. And Jesus' posture isn't a posture of extraction. It's not designed to pull from us. He's not a leech, right? 
Instead, Jesus's posture is a posture of compassion. Jesus's posture is a posture of compassion. That word compassion means to suffer with, to be together in suffering. As Jesus eats through Luke, he is both guest and host. As a guest, he took up a posture of eating with everyone. And as a host, he grants the world a posture of feasting for everyone, for all, on the, on the, on the half of all. You see, Jesus takes the expectations that people held about the gods and he flipped it. He does this all through the meals. He subverts the cultural norm. His feasting isn't a stealing away from. His feasting is a healing within. As Jesus eats in unexpected places with unexpected people, his posture causes people on multiple sides of division to challenge their own assumptions. His posture causes people on multiple sides of division to challenge their own assumptions. As Jesus eats with people, his invitation for others to enter into close proximity with God through relationship That's what Jesus stands for. Notice like his conversations, his posture during meals, it's not centered about what he's against. His posture is a posture that unabashedly communicates God's love to all people. Unexpected places, unexpected people with an unexpected posture. For us tonight, as we kind of kick off Thanksgiving, And Advent, like God wants our posture to be the same. Does your theology form you to live out Christ's unexpected posture? Does your theology form you to live out Christ's unexpected posture? Does it nurture you to have a posture of extraction? Or does it nurture you to have a posture of compassion? This is the richness of Luke. This is the trajectory, the arc of the story that forms us, that reads our lives. And it culminates, friends, at the Lord's table. Where Christ, just as he's done all through these 10 meals in Luke, he confronts our presuppositions. All through Luke, the arc of Christ's eating, it intentionally models for us how we are called to eat in unexpected places, with unexpected people, with an unexpected posture. And on this Thanksgiving Eve, may our meal tonight nourish us into flourishing. As we partake, may we be reminded of God's image and presence. And that's at this meal, but it nourishes us into all the other meals we will take. We noted earlier this evening that perhaps the potential to experience relational fracture is real for us in this season. For those in particular who are feeling the weight of that, the the stress of that, maybe the, the questions, the anxiety of that, May this meal sustain you. May it center you. May it give you something to look back to in the midst of all the other meals that we take. 
especially in expressions of faith that are discussed around the table. Sometimes faith is weaponized. Jesus against other. If that happens, remember this meal tonight. This meal. Rest assured, friends, this is the table of the Lord, not of the church. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. And so come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here in a long time. Come, friends. You who have tried to follow God and you who have failed. Come to the table. Because it is the Lord who invites you here. It is God's will that those who want God will meet God. And so come to this table and be nourished. Join me in prayer, friends, and let us come to the table. God, we are grateful again for the gift of this day. We're grateful for the way that you nourish us. That you do meet us in the ways that we hold communion and fellowship with each other. We pray over the week to come and the weeks to come that our communion with other will reflect the way that you desire to commune with all of creation, with all of the cosmos. As we taste this meal, may it carry us through for every other meal to reflect the goodness of God. May we grow in grace with each other. May you give us patience, patience to be able to enjoy meals with people uh, on different sides of division. In the way that this season can be difficult, we pray your grace and your peace that is uh, beyond all understanding, that that would rest with us today. May we transmit that grace and peace to the world around us. May it be that we participate in making heaven here just as it is. Make us instruments of your love. God, we pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, amen. Friends, we are gonna partake in the Lord's table. We do welcome all to it. In terms of procedure, please uh, come counterclockwise around your section, and then uh, we'll be able to cycle through. I want to invite the servers up. And uh, Actually, are there no servers? Do we just pull from the table? That's right. We just pull from the table. So uh, receive here. We do want to be conscious of, uh, uh, of COVID and other things. But come to the table of the Lord, knowing that God does meet you here. Be nourished, be fulfilled, and let us encounter God together in our feasting and in our time together. Come, friends.